pray. Father, we are, we are grateful for what this day means to us as uh, people, a people who um, are lost and, and wondering. And uh, we thank you that we can look on that, that day as um, a sad day, but at the same time, something that has been uh, liberating for millions of people through history. So, Father, we ask that this evening we focus our hearts on you, our minds, so that you will be glorified, your love will be proclaimed, and, uh, and the cross will be held up. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 26, 1 through 16. When Jesus had fa finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Reading from Psalm 31, verses 9 to 16. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasting away from grief, and my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. 
and make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your righteousness. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to take uh, communion later on this evening and we hear more uh, the story being read, it's a time to take, as we contemplate the cross and the crucifixion, it takes some time for prayer and confessional. Uh, Today, some two billion Christians are remembering Christ's death on the cross. And um, God's word tells us in 1 John, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The crucifixion of Christ was a pretty cataclysmic event. Uh, curtains tear, the, the earth shakes and, and rumbles, and tombs break. Uh, darkness spreads across the land. Um, it is, uh, the whole world appears to be falling apart. But in reality, God is putting it back together. So we're going to be uh, spending some time in prayer. And I'm just going to lead you through some four times of silence of prayer and, uh, and then we will go on with uh, hearing the story. Um, so I'm going to ask you to bow and pray these words with me, and then I will spend a few, few seconds of silence for you to respond, and then we'll go on to the next step. God, I give you the times in my life that have felt like cataclysmic moments, when everything is dark and it felt like my world was falling apart. Would you show me where you were and where you are in the midst of all these things, making all things new. God, I pray now for someone I know who is in the midst of crisis and in darkness, who feels like their world is falling apart. I pray the words of the psalmist from Psalm 143, let the morning bring them word of your unfailing love as they put their trust in you. Lord Jesus, I have gone astray. I have turned to my own way. It is my iniquity upon your shoulders. Remembering your death on the cross, I confess my sins before you now. Lord, reflecting on the days of Holy Week that have passed, remind me now of the little ways in which I have seen your love in my life.
crucified king, thank you that I can be healed by your wounds and forgiven by your blood. Full of wonder today of all days, I receive your forgiveness now. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his downless life for us. Amen.
This is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 41. Then Jesus led his disciples to an orchard called Gethsemane, or the oil press. He told them, sit here while I pray a while. He took Jake, Peter, James, and John with him. An intense feeling of great horror plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. And he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed with anguish and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. He walked a short distance away, and being overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, he would not have to experience this hour of suffering. He prayed, Abba, my Father, all things are possible for you. Please, don't allow me to drink this cup of suffering. Yet, what I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. Then he came back to the three disciples and found them all sound asleep. He awakened Peter and said to him, Simon, are you asleep? Do you lack the strength to stay awake with me for even just an hour? Keep alert and pray that you'll be spared from this time of testing, for your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is feeble. Then he left them a second time and went to pray the same thing. Afterward, he came back to the disciples and found them sound asleep, for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say to him. After praying for the third time, he returned to his disciples and awoke them again, saying, Do you plan on sleeping and resting indefinitely? That's enough sleep. The end has come, and the hour has arrived for the Son of Man to be handed over to the authority of sinful men.
I'll be reading a couple of passages, Mark 14, verses 55 through 59, and chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they weren't finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. Early in the morning, the chief priests, with the elders and scribes and the whole council, immediately held a consultation, and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Because of you, Jesus. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 8. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due?
The Crucifixion from Matthew 27. After they had mocked Jesus, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. 
There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. There is an area of uh, theology called theodicy. And that is the um, study or the explanation of how to deal with evil in God, in, in the world, and still believe that there is a loving, just God that exists somewhere. And those th theodicy is the attempt to try to explain that. And... Uh, that is the, the problem. And how do we have a loving, just God, and then we look around and evil is in the world? Uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to explain. We can't explain why there's uh, unspeakable suffering and, and brutal wars and, uh, and imprisonment of the innocents and sexual slavery and abuse and all these things that we see. And not, that's not, not to mention you know, disabilities or natural disasters, uh, pandemics. How do we explain that there is this loving, trustful God that exists at the same time we have all this evil in the world? And it seems, it seems overwhelming. The evidence seems to be overwhelming. I'm not saying that, that it seems, that's true. And it, I'm not saying that, that, G, that God never intervenes or that he doesn't always heal, or does he doesn't heal, he can and he does, and he often does, but he often does not. We still deal with genocide and wars and imprisonment and slavery and abuse. We still have to deal with that. Oftentimes it does not. And we have to ask that, ask that question, how is that, how is that possible? And I used to have to think that I had to come up with all these arguments and all these answers and I was going to, you know, answer all these questions of why these people believe that. Because it is perhaps the most common objection to not believe in God is why is there evil in the world with this good God? And I felt like I needed to come up with all these arguments to do that as if God needed my defense. <laughs> he obviously does not need my defense. But the truth is that, that we don't have a God who fills in the gaps, who comes in and wants to fix everything immediately, that, that stops evil where we are, that fills in our ignorance and, and, and makes everything okay. We don't have a God that jumps into that. And for the rational mind, that may sound totally illogical if your rational mind is to expect a God to do all that. But he doesn't. And so what do we do with that? How, do we, how is God being this loving, 
God who continues to love his creation and continues to sustain that creation, how does, how does that work? Well, what if, what if God is somehow in the suffering? What if God is actually participating in the suffering? That he is part of the object of suffering as well and he is in full solidarity with the world that he created. And that I, I see him not only as, as somebody, some distant God, but he is actually hurting with me. If I could vision that, if I could capture that vision, then maybe I would uh, stop complaining about it and just sit there in awe and wonder and go, I can't believe this is, this is true. That might be a God that I can trust and that might be a God that I can love if I know that this God is suffering like me and like us and he grieves over that. I just wonder if that's the idea, the vision that I need to have instead of just complaining, why is God letting all this happen? That this is a God who is in solidarity with the world he created and is suffering with it. I do know a few people who have um, basically trying to keep their head above water, trying to breathe above water because they have suffered so much and trying to keep their hearts open and they are trying to get by because they have actually experienced hell on earth and they get by and breathe because they know the crucified God. They have met the crucified God. I have not met anybody who were, was convinced by my contrived arguments of why evil exists in the world. I haven't met anybody change their mind over that. But I have met people who are truly changed because they have met the crucified God. That are truly changed because they are walking with the suffering God. I have met people changed like that. People who have experienced this overflow of Trinitarian love that we've been talking about. That they have learned to love because they have watched a hurting Savior. And, and that seems to be the way we learn to love. We learn to, this love is drawn out of us by human tears. That I believe we learn to love and care for one another by suffering. And I wish it wasn't so, but I think that's the way, it, from my observation, we learn to love and care for one another through pain. Amen. That we, we learn to care and have compassion for one another through shared pain much more than shared pleasure. And I kind of wish it wasn't true, but that's the way we have to learn because we are hard-headed and we have to learn that way. That deep communion and deep compassion actually comes through shared pain, not shared pleasure. And, and I, I, these people that I speak of that I know who have been through hell on earth, they are just suffocating, but they are learning to breathe. And it's those people who don't take breathing for granted. It's the people who just kind of float through life that seem to take breathing for granted, but those people don't take it for granted. And I think, and I think about when, when Peter was talking to, when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, Peter, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. But when you recover, you will be able to help your brothers. And I really think that was Jesus' ordaining Peter for ministry. And it was after the resurrection when he said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He was just sort of reaffirming that. But I think in that moment is when Jesus marked Peter out and said, yes, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. But then when you recover, you'll be able to help your brothers. And I think that's how we learn. So what does this have to do with the atonement? What does this have to do with Good Friday, the crucifixion? Well, I believe that only a suffering God can save a suffering people. That only a suffering God can save a suffering world. And any other God, any other God who isn't suffering, in my, in my viewpoint, from my perspective, he's just a guilty bystander. Someone that I can't trust and can't, certainly can't love. But it takes a suffering God to save a suffering people. 
And that's what the crucifixion is all about. I, I don't know of anybody who's humiliated or wounded who can't look at the cross and see themselves on that and identify with that. I can't think of anybody who's wounded and humiliated to see that and wants to rush to surrender to that and wants to rush to have communion with that. With the Christ, with a God on the cross. And that God is, contrary to all of our expectations about God that our rational mind thinks, that here's a God who is sharing with our, our pain, He is sharing our vulnerability, He is sharing our powerlessness, He is sharing our indignity. This is a God I can trust and that I can love. Several weeks ago, you might remember those here, uh, I did this series on values, on these basic human values that, that I think are important, like justice and love and truth and power and, and spirituality and beauty and those things. And, and I said that they, these kind of things are inside of us and they point us to God, but the downside of that is that they also point us to our failures. And the thing about the cross is that's where all these high values that we think are wonderful, that are ideals, it was at the cross that all these things were crushed, were denied, were trampled on. All of these values, they pointed to our failure. They point to God, but at the same time, they point where we have blown it as individuals and as a human species. Amen. But we think, but we think that that we move up to the ladder and that's where we're going to meet God. If we can just get these high ideals of justice and beauty and truth and, and love and, and freedom and all those great ideas that if we raise up to the ladder, is like that's when we will see God when we're up there, right? But the cross says, no, he meets us down where we stomped on them and where we trampled on them. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our world not his world our arrogance thinks that we will see him in high places but we actually see him where all those things have been trampled down Amen. in our brokenness in our broken world that's where he meets us there's a hymn writer who wrote the line i love this line we strain to glimpse of your mercy seat but we find you kneeling at our feet that's where we find him we think, uh, we, we, we hope that we will see God up there, but we don't. We don't. We see him in our world of brokenness, not his world. We think we're going to meet him at the top of the ladder, but we meet him at the bottom. Instead, he meets us where these things are trampled on. And that broken path that we're following as individuals and as a species, as a race, as a human race, that broken path we're following, we're not going to higher ground. It leads us to the foot of the cross. Not to the high ladder, but to the feet of the cross. And this is why Good Friday had to happen. This is why Good Friday had to happen. When Joseph in the Old Testament was sold in slavery, you know, he said that you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And we say, well, did God, was that God's will for him to be sold into slavery? Well, let me tell you, uh, it's never God's will to sell your brother into slavery, okay? Just to lay that down. And it's never God's will to execute an innocent man. But Good Friday had to happen. It had to happen because of humans. Because it was inevitable because of human inevitability. And I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating that this is why it happened. It happened because it was inevitable because of us. Because this is the way domination systems work. This is the way oppressive systems work. You oppose them and they stomp on you and they stop it. Yeah. This is normal. Jesus was not just some unfortunate victim that just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. This is, this is how it works. And I've heard people say, well, why is Jesus' crucifixion so great, well, so famous, so why is it such a big deal? There were thousands of people killed, thousands of people crucified, and they're tr that's true. It's also the point. This is normal behavior for humans. This is what happens. This is nothing unusual about this. 
This was a very human thing to do, was to kill somebody who opposes you. This is something that's just very normal. The temple authorities were probably not any worse than we are. They weren't exceptionally evil. As far as empires go, the Roman Empire was probably better than most, or at least as good as most. But the fact is, this isn't exceptional. This is what humans do. Amen. This is what we do. There is this, collu- this collision of the passion and the compassion of Jesus having head-on to power, to fear and hate and vengeance and arrogance. And this is what happens. It's normal, unfortunately. Jesus not only died for our sins, he died because of our sins. Amen. That's normal. The hate, the fear, the arrogance, the egoism, when it, when, it, when it runs into the compassion of God, it clashes. It's basically routine. And what's amazing is that God submitted himself to this. To the people he loves. To the world he loves. So was Jesus guilty or innocent? Well, he was accused and executed of being a violent insurrectionist. He was executed between two violent insurrectionists. But he was not guilty of a violent revolution. What he was guilty of is claiming to be the Messiah the son of the Holy One, the son of the living God, the son of the blessed one. He did claim to be that. He's guilty of resisting oppression, tyranny, hatred, revenge. He was guilty of that. He was guilty of including all people, not excluding. He was guilty of pain for our liberation. He was guilty of those things. And when those things clash, humans do what humans do. They kill. This is perfectly normal. Jesus does not do this to let us off the hook. He's not winking at sin. He's not turning a blind eye to all this. What he's doing with is dealing with a disease, a disease that we call evil today. And evil does not go down without a fight. And that's why the Good Friday had to happen. It was inevitable because of human inevitability. This is what we do. This is how we behave. And we see it before our eyes every single day on the news, especially these days. This is what we see. One of the church fathers called this the awful grace of God, the crucifixion. It is utterly different than any of the greedy, bloodthirsty gods we see in history. It is utterly different than the bystander, distant God of the Enlightenment. This is a God who suffers with us. And I am convinced that a suffering God, only a suffering God, can rescue a suffering people. Only a suffering God can rescue a suffering world. Any other God, he's just a guilty bystander. And that's somebody I can't trust. That's somebody I can't love. What else could save the creation except Good Friday? Who else, who else could save a suffering humanity Who else could open a heart to love and trust except a suffering God? This is where I sink my anchor. In the suffering God who rescues the suffering people. This is where I stand my ground. This is where I stand. We're going to take some time to do take communion this evening. And we're going to uh, just a, a little housekeeping. The way we're going to do it is like the way we did it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, our, our children's pastor, Don, and I will be up here with the bread and the cup. And um, we're just going to ask you to come on up and take it 
and then return to your seat. And you can pray before you come, whenever you come, just whenever the Spirit moves, and you can spend some time with God and take it whenever you want. That's how we will do it. Um, I just want to tell you that you cannot trap, trick, or force God to do something that's against his nature, okay? Uh, against his character. God is God. He can do what he wants. And I'll tell you what he wants. He wants to love you and forgive you. Even if you don't want him to, he will do it, whether you like it or not. God is not interested in tit-for-tat cycles. You know, you do this, I'll do that. You react this way, and that's really good news. Uh, frankly, you are totally powerless to change God's mind on how he thinks about you, okay? You can't do that. You're totally powerless to that. Uh, and that's why Good Friday is good. <laughs> that's why it's good. God's mind is focused on you and mercy and life, and he will always survive whatever you do. He will survive your failures. He will not be exhausted for what you do. But when you come to the table, you bring that whole uh, movie reel of your, of your life, of the stories in your life when you come to the table. You bring with you those fears and those sorrows, those shame and the regret. You bring the rejection of your friends at the cafeteria when you're in school or whenever that was. You bring the, the nasty comments that people have said about you. You bring the nasty comments you've said about other people. Uh, you, bring, you bring all that with you. You bring the time when your spouse was mean or cruel to you or when you were mean and cruel to your spouse when you lived in a facade. All of those things, all those things you bring. And they can be terrifying for sure. And they can be dark, just like when the noon sun went black at the crucifixion. And they can be scary. I know that. I mean, you start looking at yourself and revealing yourself and looking at yourself in the mirror. That can be really scary. But you know what? It can also be this great moment of faith that where we blurt out like that soldier did at the crucifixion, surely this was the Son of God. And so that's my prayer for you this, tonight as you come and take communion, that you will go back to your seat and you will go, surely this was the Son of God, a suffering God who has saved a suffering man or a suffering woman. So we're going to ask the um, worship team, if you come back up here, you take communion with us first, and then, uh, and then after you take communion, we're going to ask the congregation to come up and do that as well. So.
Luke 23, 44-46 It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus, tonight we yield to hope. Hope that when all is falling apart, you are somehow putting things back together. Hope that one is, is too far gone to receive a change of heart. Hope that fills us with joy and peace as we put our trust in you, that we might overflow with hope and power in the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may go in peace. <laughs>